As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. I'ma roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions. Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment, you stressing, but you're going to be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working, open curtains. Haters swerving, because they ain't ready for your final version. Whoa. I'm never going to give up, give up. Fall down, I just got to get up, get up, yeah. You're listening to the Toxic and Show on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. Good morning, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's Monday, August 28th, 2023, and uh, I kind of talk about that because we, we're going to talk about something called something called COVID-19, which most folks are somewhat familiar with, and this, this phrase COVID-19 in, entered our consciousness all around, you know, uh, 2018, 2019, and whether there will be a COVID-24 or COVID-25, uh, the, the names might change, but the the viral world and our kind of interacting with microbes and, and diseases and just remaining healthy is, has to, we have to really be vigilant so that there will not be another uh, COVID outbreak. But nonetheless, uh, today there's some discussion in the community and some people might know of folks as we speak uh, this morning that have, have, have COVID. So, and the folks that even have had COVID, there's uh, some contention and an and, and honest observation that there might be some uh, after effects. So we're going to really take the deep dive and we're really pleased to have uh, uh, Yashira Enriquez with us and, and Dr. Mitsuaki uh, Sawano to kind of share with us uh, what's cooking in terms of long, this, this word long COVID and not just what's cooking in your own particular kitchen, but what's uh, developing in the scientific community and the medical community to really help people pursue this, this quest of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And really pleased to uh, be joined by Reverend Dr. Leroy O'Perry, pastor of St. Stephen's AME Zion Church and cultural ambassador to the Yale Clinical Research Program, and Reverend Alvin Clayton, pastor of Walters Memorial AME Zion Church and cultural ambassador to the Yale Clinical Research Program. Uh, Yashira is with us, and she's the project manager of the YCCI, Yale Center for Clinical Investigation at Yale University School of Medicine. And as I mentioned, uh, Dr. Mitsuaki Sawano, uh, he's a postdoctoral associate at the Center for Outcomes Research and Evaluation, uh, acronym is CORE, C-O-R-E. Welcome, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Mitsu, let's... Let, let's jump right in. I mean, we have about 45, 50 minutes to kind of unpack this issue. And and there's so much that, that's on my mind and I think on the on our listeners' mind and our viewers' mind about COVID and its ramifications uh, and impact today. And, and, and as I say, it's the speculation about even, even in the future. So I wonder if you could give us a, you know, give us a little update of the current, the current prevalence of COVID-19 and are the numbers, are the numbers going up again? Yeah. Thanks for asking that important question on COVID, Tom. Um, so yes, um, so just something to note that the uh, since the you know the public health emergency uh, declaration um, on has been lifted on May 11th of this year, and uh, reporting of COVID 19 cases or deaths have been put on hold all across the country. So the numbers that we see from CDC and other government uh, officials. So these are COVID hospitalizations. 
And this is because um, it's a good thing. But uh, so this is because we were we are no longer seeing the high rate of deaths and mortalities that we had back in uh, 2020 or 2021. Now, um, we do still have numbers on you know COVID related hospitalizations, and the best resource for that is that I mentioned earlier, the CDC. They have an actually a very nice website that uh, anyone can access. It's called the uh, COVID Data Tracker. And um, based on that, as of August 12th of this year, um, earlier this month, the number of hospitalizations per week in the United States was 12,000. Now, um, so comparing to the peak of the pandemic, which was in January 2022, that was 120,000 hospitalizations per mm -hmm. week. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the second highest point was in January 2021, which was 115,000. So, you know, um, subtle increase in the number of hospitalizations has been recorded in the past five weeks. But in, you know, to put it into perspective, it's just like a tenth of what we had in those peak numbers that I mentioned earlier. Now, in New Haven County, it's the hospitalization admission rates are really at low. So it's not the entire United States that we are seeing these increases, subtle increase in hospitalizations. And mm -hmm. even with those numbers, um, it's uh, quite low as compared to those peaks that we had back in 2020 and 2021. So that's what we see as numbers. And, and, and since, uh, Mitchell, since you've been obviously involved in focusing on this topic for, I, I use the word topic loosely, so, so uh, uh, since you've been focusing on this critical issue about public health, and I appreciate your what you've just mentioned, is there is is there a reason for concern? Is there a reason for concern? Oh, is there a reason for concern? Meaning upticks in hospitalizations? Um, yes. So, um, so in like local areas where you do see an uptick in hospitalizations, obviously there is a susp suspicion that the COVID virus is spreading within the community. So in those certain circumstances, you would want to take those precautions of wearing a mask, um, avoiding as much indoor activities as, you know, all the precautions that we have done up until uh, 2021 or early 2022. Um, so only in those certain areas, we do want to do that, but, uh, we are not seeing, um, at least in numbers, uh, uh, serious, uh, uptick in number of deaths or rates. Uh, so, um, I wouldn't be too alarmed to seeing these increasing numbers, but, it is always nice to um, follow and you know be uh, have a keep a watchful eye on what is uh, reported in these CDC websites and the, the you know uh, news um, that uh, whether or not there has been any change since we do know that COVID do mutate and create variants and but so as far as we see in numbers. I'm not too worried about it, but um, it's just nice to um, keep an eye on it. Perfect, perfect. And we're going to focus for the remainder on this show on this on long COVID. And, and both both you and Yashira have kind of been involved with uh, uh, 
Paxlovid, and which was one of the first and currently only FDA-approved oral treatments for COVID-19. And and we're talking about we're going to talk about long COVID and and, and your particular research. But I but I appreciate your setting that context that that caution is so so important. But also let's let's be proactive as we move 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 forward. Uh, Reverend Clayton, Reverend Perry, I just wanted to kind of give you a, a brief moment to kind of share a few comments before I go back to Mitsu and and uh, Yashira in terms of. Um, are you seeing any the, the impact of COVID uh, in the community? Because whether you're uh, been hospitalized or uh, or feeling any effects, it just seems to me it's in, it's in public, it's still is in our public discussion. And as I say, I've even met three or four people last week that were not hospitalized but had had the symptoms. Uh, so I guess wonder, Reverend Clayton, Reverend Perry, if you had any comments about um, an impact might be too too strong of a term um, awareness of COVID and and it's and it's a uh, its presence, even if it's minimal in the communities that we serve. Reverend Clayton? Yes, uh, thanks, Tom. I, I, I've seen um, an increase in, in COVID uh, activity, especially during the summer months when we would have uh, various meetings, when there's a large gathering. Um, and uh, I've also noticed that uh, some members will call me and tell me that uh, I won't be in this weekend because I have COVID. Uh, it, it's still here, but based upon what the doctor was just telling us, I guess the deaths deaths are down, mm -hmm. but but COVID is still based upon what we're seeing. It, it's still here. Um, I, I do have some good news. In terms of COVID, an 86-year-old contacted uh, COVID while on vacation, um, called a physician back in Connecticut, and he prescribed a Paxlovic. And uh, she had one and a half days that were pretty raunchy and then almost back to normal. Mm. So mm. That, that was good news. We didn't have this in, in uh, 2020. So... So even though it's here and the hospitalizations and deaths are down, people are still getting it, but we, we see that it's, it's, it's being worked out with uh, masks and medications. Excellent, excellent. R Reverend Perry, good to see you as always. Good to see you, Tom. Uh, I had a conversation with Dr. Oniyama, who is a... Um, infectious disease doctor here at, at uh, Yale. And I asked him about this, uh, this new spread of COVID. And he said there's a new strand and that in the fall, they're looking to, to have a vaccine for it, probably around the same time they have the vaccine for the flu. He said it really wasn't, uh, it, was, it was mild for the most part, but my question is, of the 10,000 or 12,000 people that went to the hospital, did they go to the hospital because their cases were more severe? Normally, you wouldn't go to the hospital if you got this, early, this, the, this summer COVID that's going out. It just seems to me that people who do go are people who are kept, either have comorbidities or did not take the shot and, or their resistance was very low. And I think that's important to know for people who think that, you know, it's just a common cold. It can be serious, mm -hmm. even though it may, it appears mild for the 
mass of the population, but you've got to remember that mass of the population now has had some, some vaccine um, treatments. So that's my question, um, <laughs> Dr. Mitsuaki. Um, give, me, give me some update on that. Yeah, that's a great point, uh, Reverend Perry. Um, so, yeah, um, obviously the uh, COVID-19 virus is constantly mutating and creating variants, such as the most recent ones that we see are uh, EG5 and BA2.86. Um, these are taking more of the dominance of the, the major I guess the proportion of what we see from viral um, prevalence uh, reportings. Um, and as you mentioned, um, so we are seeing much lower deaths as compared to 2020 or 2021, but the virus itself has um, mutated in a way that uh, is better at infecting people. Um, so they are, yes, in numbers, I think there are uh, more people who are being uh, affected by the virus. And um, this gets to the point of long COVID as well. But, uh, you know, I mean, avoiding any infection in the first place is hmm. the utmost, you know, the most important part of avoiding acute COVID complications as well as, as long COVID would which is caused by the virus. So, um, and as you mentioned, uh, vaccinations, medications, these are going to be the important parts, especially prevention part, because um, well, we know from the numbers from the with CDC that nearly 80% of all Americans have at least received one uh, vaccination up to now, but that will differ by communities. And, getting that vaccination will help reduce uh, that kind of like moderate to severe complications that can be caused by the virus. So those are um, gonna be the important part uh, as we move along uh, the years. And even if we have the mutants uh, variants coming in, um, the updated boosters vaccines will uh, help, hope to help, the these severe cases of uh, complications of COVID. That's what we're hoping. Yeah, excellent. Keep, keep keep hope alive, but but also keep proactive. So that's that, that's the key. And and uh, uh, you're sure I haven't forgotten about you. We'll come come to you shortly. Yeah. But but uh, Mitsu, talk. So let's take the deep dive for for the remaining forty or minutes or so about about long COVID. Uh, what is long COVID, and and how does someone even know if they have it? Yeah, that's a very important question. And uh, we do believe that long COVID is perhaps like underdiagnosed or underrecognized. Mm. Um, long COVID is uh, it's a wide range of new returning or ongoing health problems that people experience after uh, being infected with COVID-19. Now, most people with COVID-19 will get better within a few days or within a few weeks after infection. Um, I, I know I know that uh, many, um, so I think you would knew by experience if you had one um, in the previous uh, years. But uh, so so at least four weeks after infection is a start um, when long COVID is actually diagnosed. Hmm. Um, now, anyone who has been infected can experience long COVID 
Of course, um, more severe cases of long COVID, I'm sorry, severe cases of acute COVID uh, will is reported in association with um, higher probability of having long COVID symptoms. Um, but it's not that only uh, people who experience severe cases of acute COVID will have long COVID. So, um, so anyone can have long COVID. And, you know, the, one of the most um, commonly seen symptoms from lung COVID would be mm. uh, like brain fog, fatigue, uh, fatigue meaning tiredness, shortness of breath, um, inability to perform certain exercises, um, even though you were able to before being infected by the virus, um, numbness, tingliness, sensation, um, it, it, it's like a whole array of symptoms. It's, it's, uh, it's a, so there are, uh, various symptoms with associated with long COVID. And, um, so it's generally that, uh, these symptoms that occur after that acute in, uh, infection of COVID, mm -hmm. and then you're feeling that symptom burden, um, persisting. If that's when you suspect that uh, when you have a long COVID case or not, and you might, uh, you would like to seek medical care. And and just before we go to the, the research project, uh, uh, and you're sure I'll be bringing you in. I'm just curious, uh, Mitsu, is there a particular, what's your, the ballpark percentage of folks that, uh, you know, that have COVID and, and the progression to, to long COVID, would you say? In general numbers, 20%, 30% if you've had it, that you'll have the, the long COVID symptoms or is it too difficult to even, even speculate in that regard? Yes. So yeah, it is difficult to estimate, but there are reports on this. Um, so like the really um, conservative estimate would be around one in 14 adults who have been affected by the virus, but it could be one in five. So it does vary and it does depend on how you define this condition. But uh, so roughly around 10% will be mm -hmm. the uh, number that we have um, that for now, yeah. And, and even in that delineation, is there any d distinction between uh, elderly people being affected versus for long hauler symptoms oh. versus young people? That's a good question. And yes, we do see that uh, people of higher age, um, particularly above age 50 or 65, um, are highly affected by long COVID. Um, again, this is also uh, reflecting their higher risk with comorbidities mm -hmm. that I think um, we mentioned in our discussion earlier. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, because of weaker immune systems, it, they may be uh, more susceptible to having long COVID. Um, and viral persistence is actually one of the uh, pathomechanisms that could be leading to these symptoms that uh, uh, is related to long COVID. And Yashir, I'm going to bring you in a second just to kind of share with us about the, <clears throat> the Yale Pax LC study. Uh, but but Mitsu, I was just curious as, as we kind of wrap up this particular portion. Tell us about Paxlovid and, and why it's being used for folks to uh, th th that might have symptoms of, of long COVID. 
Yes. So that is an important question, and that is related to our trial itself. So Paxlovid, as many of you may know, um, it's an oral um, antiviral pill that can be taken at home and now currently is being prescribed uh, for mild to moderate cases of acute COVID. Um, it is a medication that came out in back in 2021 as a emergency use uh, medication, but now has been approved uh, by the FDA uh, and it has been given full approval for uh, acute COVID cases. Now it is uh, has been shown that it is effective of reducing uh, hospitalizations and severe cases of acute COVID. And for this particular trial, the PAX-LC trial, um, we are using a 15-day regimen, which is different from what we use for acute COVID cases, which is a five-day regimen. And um, the reason why we are using uh, Paxlovid is that we believe that one of the pathomechanisms mechanisms that I just mentioned earlier is um, what we call viral persistence within the body, mm -hmm. uh, meaning that COVID, the virus, virus itself, keeps on living within our cells within the body. And then that continuously would lead to uh, direct damage to certain organisms within our cells or unwanted uh, immune um, reactions within our body that can lead up to these long COVID symptoms. So um, the Paxlovid is helpful to uh, stopping the virus to replicate itself and creating copies within our body. Mm. And that 15-day regimen, we believe or our hypothesis is that we can stop that uh, vicious cycle and uh, perhaps um, reduce the symptom burden that we see in long COVID patients. So that's what we um, uh, intend to do in our PAX-LC trial. Excellent, excellent. Um, can it's I ask a question before we leave that? Just, okay. Just um, are there any medications available for a long COVID? Thank you for that great question, Reverend. Um, so um, the bottom line is that, no, there are no evidence-based or no approved treatments for long COVID at this current moment. So that is why we are trying to seek for any medication, any agent that um, can help people with long COVID. And we um, we chose this this medication because uh, as for the reasons that I stated earlier and um, you know bottom line is that we want to help these people with an evidence-based medication um, yeah Yashira you you have the mic tell us about the uh, the Yale Pax LC study and Pax Lovett Okay, my check one two one two. <laughs> you got it. You got it. So the PAXLC study is a decentralized, double-blind study that is testing the safety, efficacy, and the tolerability of Paxlovid in participants with long COVID. So let me break that down for you a little bit. Decentralized means that although the study is being conducted by Yale, participants are able to um be in the study and have all study procedures done at home or at a local clinic. Um, is double blind, meaning that participants nor us would know who is on the active treatment or who is on um, the placebo. Um, 
the study, the way we are conducting the study procedures are through a array of surveys that will be sent to the participant's mobile phone or to their tablet. So no one has to come to the clinic to have blood pressure tested. Um, we're getting all that information through a Hugo Kindred um, platform where participants are able to connect their medical records to this platform and the information is pulled. So we get to see all of the visits that they've been to in the past six months and gather the information regarding their diagnosis, what they've been going through um, for the for the for their long COVID treatment. And and before excuse me, before we go about to ask you about the length of the study or the if there's any age limit or compensation, I was just curious to share it uh, for, for the Paxlovid, so people take it once a day. Walk, walk me through that regimen. Uh, how, how is it actually used in the in the practice and how is it used in the study? So in the study, the participants are going to be taking it as prescribed, meaning um, twice a day. They're going to be taking three pills in the morning and three pills in the evening. Um, the difference between um, how it's being used in the study versus how it's used in practice is that we're doing it for a 15-day course and um, it is currently prescribed for five days. Okay, okay. And how long will the study... Uh, Will you will, will you be in, involved with this investigation? So the study itself is 24 weeks, so it's a 15 um, day treatment and follow up visits. And the follow up visits um, are consistent of surveys that the participants will complete. And um, we're just testing. We're check. We're asking them how are they feeling? Um, if any of their symptoms have changed, are they experiencing any adverse events or symptoms um, towards the medication or anything? Else. So we want to make sure that we gather the right information to see if the drug itself is causing any side effects and if it's being effective. And it's, and I hear you saying it's non-invasive. So people often have this this apparition about uh, participating in a clinical trial and blood being taken, et cetera. But in this case, it's, there's no, it's, it's non-invasive. I mean, I, it's, as you say, through the mobile phone. Aside from having um, blood tests drawn, so they would have three blood tests, three blood tests drawn at their home. And then okay. we also are asking participants to go to a local Quest location to have safety labs drawn. And is there any age limit? There isn't an age limit. Um, there is an age minimum, which is 18 years old. Okay. And lastly, uh, any compensation? Yeah, so we are compensating participants for their time. They will receive $200 after the completion of the 28, day 28 visit. And um, the remaining 300 will be given to them at the end of the study. And sh share with us, share about the number of participants that you might be looking to recruit. We often hear about for a clinical trial, how imperative and important it is to really have full community, community participation. So I was just kind of curious about how many participants are you uh, seeking to recruit? So for this study, we are recruiting a small sample size of 100. Um, we do wish it for the studies to possibly get a, a larger number, but for this study, it is 100 participants that we are um, recruiting. And, and for how long will the will the, the recruitment take place? Are you into your first year or first six months, or is it still just we just begun to embark? Oh well, we started enrolling in June, so we're once we I think we're we're going to continue recruiting until we have completely um, recruited the 100 participants. Excellent, excellent, excellent. We have about, about uh, 20 minutes to kind of open it up. And and as you can see, we really, um, excuse me, let me, 
me mute myself. Well, I can't do that. Somebody's trying to call me back, but um, obviously through this show, we're trying to identify people uh, for, for the study. Reverend Clayton and Reverend Perry, why is it, this sounds like a, uh, a routine question, but why is it important to have communities of color represented in the study? Uh, we, it's, we ask that question all the time, but I don't think we can state enough the, the, the critical imperative of, of our participation. Reverend Perry? Oh, he's on. Reverend Perry's on mute. Reverend Perry's on mute. Okay. Uh, Reverend Clayton? Reverend Clayton, maybe if you could start about, we, we mentioned often the, the imperative nature and how important it is to, to have people of communities of color participate in this study and other studies. Uh, so it's, it's sometimes we think that we're repeating this too often, but I don't think we can repeat it often enough about the, the critical imperative of participation in studies such as this. And as, as we can see, it's it's uh, easy to do. Uh, there's compensation, and it really has tremendous community of benefit. Just wondered if you had any thoughts it, in that regard. It's very important that we participate in all uh, clinical research studies uh, be because uh, early on, as you may know, that when the ambassadors first uh, got involved with YCCI, there were only 3%, sometimes 6%, of people of color involved in clinical research. And, and as we went through the training, we understood that without uh, minority participation in studies, the medication would not work as well uh, in us as in, in other people. So, so even with this study, we, we do all we can to try to help people understand that if you participate, um, you're, you're not only helping yourself, but you're helping generations to come. So it, it's it, that's a vital, important piece for us to make sure that we do our best to participate in research that the medication will work better for us. Excellent. Reverend Perry? Yes, Tom, I think that the mere fact that COVID-19 showed the disparity in regards to minority populations and the number of deaths within our community, astronomical, <laughs> that is an indication right there that we need to do more in terms of informing our community about these kind of trials, if we're going to save lives and if we're going to ever keep the community that we have. One of the things I think that's significant about this particular study is that people who may be walking around with long haulers may not even be aware mm -hmm. that there's a possibility that there can be something done about it. Mm -hmm. We won't know that unless we're able to get them into this study. I think mm -hmm. that's 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 the elephant in the room. How do we get them in into the study? So Tom, this show is is just one arm of how we can reach out to the community. But I think we have to develop um, a number of avenues to pitch this so that we can reach the populations that we need to reach. One of the, one of the significant questions that I had about this was, and was that if, if the vaccine, I'm just, this is just a hypothetical y'all. If the vaccine had been, had been boosted up 
in sequences so that you got, you know that it would only last for a certain amount of, of hour or days. So you boost up 60 days, every 60 days. Then it seems to me what you're doing now might be, might be, might have uh, been done through the vaccine. That's just the question. Regardless of that, since that's a past question, the question is now, as you say, how do we deal with it? And it's really interesting because when people get COVID now, they don't give them the vaccine. They give them Paxlovid. And that's interesting because why didn't they give this to us in the beginning? Uh, maybe y'all could answer that. But anyway, uh, you know, now when people go, they the doctors say, how bad are your symptoms? And this is what they tell us to take. And um, and I, I I just think it's it's amazing that this drug is out there, and we we only find out about it in acute cases. But it just seems to me that it might have a more relevant um, posture here going forward. Mitsu, I think that I think that gauntlet was thrown somewhat <laughs> in your in your direction. I'm not sure whether Perfect. it was a fat. Fastball yeah. or or curveball, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, or or spitball for that matter, or forkball. But I th think you might want to have the opportunity to respond. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so just to clarify, um, so Paxlovid it was never intended as a preventive measure, but it's a medication that is taken earlier on in during an acute infection. So the earlier you take the medication it would be better at stopping the virus to create many more copies within your body and um which would which could consequently uh develop into more severe cases of covid um so that's the intention of this antiviral agent um the you know the vaccinations are something something different it's it's totally uh something for prevention, which means that it has an effect of, for instance, it's like it's like prepping your immune system towards a possible future infection so that it, it's like uh, uh, warming up your immune infection so that it won't be too overly surprised when you encounter uh, a COVID uh, virus in, in the future. Um, and yes, uh, the boosters have been updated in a way that it warms up your immune system in a better way. And, and again, this is intended to prevent severe cases of COVID or deaths due to COVID. So, um, and in terms of availability, uh, the booster, I'm not sure which was came out first. Um, I know that Paxlovid was available in 2021. Um, vaccinations, perhaps during the same time or maybe a little bit later than that. I'm not sure. I have to look that up. Um, but so the intentions of these two are somewhat different. And, you know, both have been shown in clinical trials that they are effective. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's that's just uh, um, what I would like to clarify on this. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I, have I can't. You. I have one question. Reverend Perry, do you accept, <clears throat> do you accept um, Misu's uh, apologia and explanation? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I know one is, a, one is for prevention and the other one deals with after you've gotten it. But the question is, right, so right. if I take the Paxlovid and a week later, am I any more or any less susceptible to COVID? Oh, so does it have additional preventive effects? Yeah. That's the question. Uh, we don't actually know that. Um, possibly yes, but we we don't just we haven't seen it. We haven't seen it in the literatures yet. Um, hypothetically, possibly yes, and then we'll be then prescribe it as a preventive measure. So that's something different. That's going to be something that you have to weigh in. Um, econ, you know, financial uh, burdens of these medications. Um, so, but. Um, hypothetically, could be, but we just don't know at this point. But well, will it cure the people, the long haulers that people have? I mean, you're doing this for the study. What is the, what is the predicted hypothesis about the outcomes? Is it to, mm -hmm. so, oh. you know, cure, maintain, sustain? What what is it going to do for us? Thank you. That's a great question. Um, so the way the trial is designed is. We hypothesized that the Paxlovid in the 15-day treatment would reduce symptom burden. Um, symptom burden meaning we use a uh, scale that is has been validated in other research that um, so we would measure it when you enter this trial in the beginning before you actually receive the Paxlovid 15-day regimen, and then we will also do uh, the same the identical scale at day 28. And we would compare the differences between these scores at baseline and day 28. And that's how we uh, would uh, measure the effectiveness within our trial. Um, we will also uh, follow up until week 24. Um, so that's also going to a secondary point where we would like to see whether or not that uh, effectiveness has uh, is maintained throughout a longer time period. So those are the two aims that uh, we intend to measure in our trial, and we are hoping for that we would see uh, in long COVID patients. And the blood draw would do what? What is the blood term? draw? Yeah. So those are in two. Uh, there are two aims for that. One is simply to monitor uh, any unwanted um, safety events, which is very unlikely to happen, but we do need it to for safety reasons. The other is to explore any uh, potential uh, biomarkers that can be happening within the uh, participants. So similar to the, uh, the symptom burden questionnaires or the surveys that we have, we will take the biospecimens at baseline and also at given time points, including uh, in the, the day 14, day 28, um, to measure uh, what Paxlovid had in terms of effect in the immune system. So we, what we do is run a very um, various numbers of uh, analysis uh, on you with which is going to be conducted at the um, Dr. Iwasaki, Akiko Iwasaki's lab 
and uh, we would um, this uh, we would measure the, your um, immune functions uh, within throughout the trial. So that's what we intend to do with the bile specimens. Thank you, and Reverend Clayton. I think think you had a question a few few minutes ago. At least I think you were gesturing. Uh, Dr. Perry answered. He answered asked the same question. So that that was great. That was that was great. Okay. Um, so, so do you have a follow-up question or um, something that just came to my mind? Let me jump in. I, I saw Misu, uh, uh, the Washington Post, had an article already out uh, and you were quoted and I was so pleased to see that. And then we were always, when we do these shows, always con concerned and committed to spreading the word wherever people might collect their their data uh, were you pleased with the, with the with the washington post article i was just so it was it seems to me it was written in a lay a layman's word uh context it also quoted you and, and other experts and it just i think indicated how important uh media is and clear and transparent uh media so i was just curious from from your perspective whether you were satisfied because oftentimes people will accuse the media of manipulating or sensationalizing etc so i was just, just curious about your since you were particularly quoted um, Tom, well, I actually, I'm not sure if I read that specific <laughs> article yet, but um, I'm open for, uh, uh, I mean, uh, so social media or the media, um, this is, yeah, um, I, I do agree that uh, there are pros and cons, advantages, disadvantages, but um, it, we are living in a digital era, and um, this is part of I think it is an important part of the scientific community as well. Um, and it's it's how we spread our words. And um, it's it's just a way of how we uh, communicate and how we, um, it, you know, yes, the proper phrasing, the proper wordings needs to be spread out there. But, uh, you know, um, it's, it's a way that uh, we need to, especially for these kind of trials or any particular clinical research, um, it's, it's, we need to reach out to various uh, sectors, very groups within the country and, you know, aiming for that diversity um, as we spoke earlier, um, it, 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 the media is going to uh, obviously have an important part in there. And um, we, we are open to, uh, we are. We want to put every effort to include uh, all people from the various uh, communities, and yeah, um, yeah. That's just what what I would like to emphasize and representing the group. Can um, I follow up yeah. on that a little bit? Yes, please, yeah. please, share. Absolutely. Um, so I live in the Bronx, New York, which was one of the hardest hit areas with COVID nineteen, and doing this research, I've seen maybe. 1%, well, we have one person enrolled right now that is Hispanic or Latino. So it, it's really crazy <laughs> to say that we don't have the diversity in the study that we need when we know that so many people suffered from COVID and are possibly suffering from long COVID. Mm -hmm. So what, what, where is the disconnect? What do we need to do to get this message out there to the individuals who are suffering and may not know that long COVID even exists or are not properly diagnosed with long COVID by their doctors? Are they being turned away? So, so what is it? We need to find the answers there, so that that in turn will help us diversify this trial and and give aid to those people that need it. Excellent. 
Excellent. I was going to say, um, you know, oh. we're going to we work with Junta, and they are they're going through a new change in uh, leadership, and I think you're going to find some real good contacts there. So Junta is a part of our YCCI group. They're right here in in, in New Haven. Uh, very popular, very strong, great history. So we're going to make sure that we we get you guys connected. Uh, the other question that I had is. Do you have to have, do you have to go to your doctor first and have, a, have with the complaint that you think you have a, a long mm -hmm. haul before you can be in this study? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you need to be diagnosed with long COVID. Right. And is so there I a question, that... what, what's the method that your primary physician will use to believe that you're expressing your symptoms and that their symptoms are real? Yeah. I'll, I'll let Mitsu answer since he may, you know, he has the medical background, but I guess it's just a symptomatology. You go in and you say, this is what you have, but your doctor needs to believe you and say, okay, this is long COVID. Um, right. So. Mitsu? Yes. So, um, so the diagnosis of long COVID would be uh, going through the medical records that you have previously had. Um, and also the time course, the, the, the events or the symptoms that you have experienced um, throughout or comparing to pre-acute uh, COVID infection, the index infection, and the post-infection. Uh, and um, it also is would be related to the uh, previous medical histories that you may have had in the past. Um, we do have certain sets of other conditions that can mimic or overlap with possible long COVID uh, symptoms. So um, there is a certain way of differentiating or um, looking at those overlaps, whether to seek whether or not the, the current symptoms that you are uh, suffering from right now is actually due to this virus or another condition, which could be treated for other uh, treatments if properly diagnosed. So you do wanna do go through that full evaluation just to be sure that uh, this is likely a long COVID case or not, because uh, like I mentioned, um, some conditions can be treated and mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that's the thorough assessment is going to be uh, very important. We have about six more minutes, everybody. So as things kind of cross your mind in terms of sharing, please, please weigh in. I, I just want, I wanted to guess mention that on Saturday, we had the community health fair, the YCCI cultural ambassador <clears throat> health fair at, at Ellis Canterbury Park. And uh, Re Reverend Clayton, I, I believe you, and I'm not sure if Reverend Perry was there. You guys were on the the basketball court for, for a brief moment. And uh the one of the people you're playing with is a COVID survivor. And I, I spoke to him after the uh, event and he mentioned that he felt so fatigued after I guess that short spell on the, on the, on, on the basketball court. So I <laughs> kind of recommended that, that, that this, I told him to tune into the show and I sent him the information uh, over the weekend. So to, to, to Yashira's point, yeah, people don't even perhaps know that they're still mm -hmm. suffering and this this is so so key for us to kind of get get the word out. Uh, Tom, I I received a phone call from a friend of mine just last week. 
uh, his significant other has uh, had COVID. Very active lady, worked every day. And after COVID, um, she couldn't hold a job down. No energy, um, brain fog. Uh, so it, 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 this is real. So ho hopefully uh, we can get people to participate in this study to, to, to help them. And, and the only way we're gonna do that is just, just keep informing people that it's available. This show is an excellent tool to help people uh, hear about long COVID and, and the other topics that we've been talking about for the last couple of years. So one thing, mm -hmm. one thing um, Dr. Crumholz told me this morning, who is the principal investigator of the study, he said he wants this um, this study to be the voice for long COVID patients, mm -hmm. meaning we're making this real. We're legitimizing mm -hmm. long COVID to all the doctors who think it's not true and, you know, allow the diagnosis to be across all people in all communities. Excellent. We have about f three more minutes, everybody. I just wanted to mention your share just as you were talking. Here in New Haven, uh, we have 30 older people, but we also have various committees, and we also have a, a Black and Hispanic caucus, and I'm going to invite you and, and some of your colleagues, me too, if you're available, to kind of present before the Black and Hispanic caucus, because often we'll have workshops on particular topics, and this is a topic that I'm, I'm certain that our Black and Hispanic caucus, from, from the automatic standpoint, we want to know more more about and you have the various older representatives from the city and they can also then in turn be be spokespeople uh for, for this important initiative so 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 stay tuned for that inv invitation we it's the it's the uh, third wednesday of every month at city hall and i'll send you some information in that regard okay thank you yeah tom i think i think the other problem with uh our outreach is that our folk only basically go to the doctors when it's acute. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they're not going to take off time from work. They're not going to try to spend the money to go to urgent care or to try to go to, to the hospital, usually through emergency, because it costs too much. I mean, I wish there was a way that we could, that there was a clinic where we could uh, uh, forward people to so that they could... Um, be diagnosed by a physician and, uh, you know, just encourage them to do that. So, I mean, that, that's what I said when we need to look at all the avenues mm -hmm. because you got to look at all the disparities and you got to look at all the reasons why folk don't know about this, why folk don't get tested, address some of those as well as trying to get them tested. That's the hard problem. Someone's working, their mother, they got a job, they come home, they're tired. They would rather live with it then get help for it as long as only time they're going to look to get help is if it's so acute that the brain fog is so bad the the taste and smell is is so prevalent that they they feel like they've lost something um that's when they'll go and once they go how do they how do we get them to come to you <laughs> do mm -hmm. they tell their doctor i want you to contact you know this long hauler study um, Paxlovid. How do we do this? What is we got to work on those kind of details? I think in order to make this run smoothly, and that's one of the things that YCCI that we do with our team. So 
you know, maybe we can follow up with you guys on it to come up with some ideas, some creative ideas that will help make this um, an expedient and relevant uh, process. But that's what we can do. Well, Thanks. one thing that that is uh, that's important, mm -hmm. if an employer have a, a employee who have been faithful, uh, working throughout the year, then all of a sudden that person gets COVID. And then when they come back, they're just not the same. Uh, when a person tells them there's something wrong, people have to believe them. And even the doctors, when you you you, don't, you have people who don't normally complain about things, but their lives are changed, changed drastically because mm -hmm. of long COVID. It's, look at the, a person's track record before you say, well, maybe it's not real. But we know that it is real. It's a real good point. And it just comes to mind about reaching out to the chamber and, and, and other uh, uh, the business community so they also can kind of be aware of their, their employee base. And yeah, there's, we all got to kind of work together. Uh, just, be, just before we go, everybody, we have about one more minute or two more minutes. I wanted uh, Mitsu and, and Yashira to give you the last word. I give you maybe 30 seconds on. In spite of us talking about this somber reality, in one way, this is, should be, I think, an exciting time in terms of discovery and science and, and reaction and just uh, investigation of what the future might be for life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. So I guess wondered, Yashira, uh, maybe take 30 seconds and me too as well about why is this indeed, it has its challenges, but is this, is, and is this an exciting time for you now to be, to be in this field and to be kind of working and trying to, to, to support people and make this a better place for everyone? It's definitely exciting for me because I feel like I'm on the ground floor helping this happen. Um, we've been reaching out to clinics, even in my own neighborhood, reaching out to long COVID clinics, telling them about the study because we want this to succeed and we want people to get better. So this is very exciting. We're going to continue to work hard to ensure that everyone gets the help that they need. And Misu? Yes, uh, this is a truly exciting time to be involved this, in this kind of trial. And um, we're really uh, we're looking forward for your participation. Um, having been you know, responsible for uh, reviewing every, um, the participants' medical record, I know people are suffering. And yes, uh, same as you shared mentioned, um, yeah, we want to help out as much as we could. So um, if you have any questions, please reach out to us um, or the PAX-LC trial website. There's a email there that you can reach out to. Um, yeah. And can you tell us that website so our listeners can hear it? You share it. Uh, oh, God. I, I will put it in the chat so that we can put it in the comment section. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. Yale PAX-LC study. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you, everybody. It's, it's been, been a pleasure. This is a, a tough discussion, uh, but a loving discussion. So I really appreciate your, your, your commitment and, and being a part. And we're going we're gonna to beat the drum. We're going to create the symphony. We're going to create the chorus. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. 
As I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen I'm never quitting on my mission, I'ma roll with what I'm giving Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing Better watch the way you going, better go in the right direction In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings And I know that for certain, keep on working, open curtains Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version Whoa. I'm never gon' give up, give up Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah Cause this is my road Less camera action, I'm ready to go I'm never gonna give up, give up Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah Yeah, this is my road Less camera action, I'm ready to go Way too long, we faced them storms Now you gon' face the dawn you waited for I said from night to dawn I write my wrongs alone in competition with